0: The Zone. The Prophecy Zone. Your end-time watchman, bringing you light in a dark world, where truth is rivaled with a lie, and the matrix is normal life. Luke 21. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations, with perplexity, and So be ready to enter the light or truth about the end of days so you will be ready for the coming of the Lord. You are in the zone, the prophecy zone. So join us for the next hour as we look at world events in line with Bible prophecy so you'll be informed and be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ.
1: Hello everybody, this is Brenda Johnson on As the Day Approaches. I want to first of all say that... um, I may sound a little raspy today, but that is because I have been ill for the last week. Uh, Last week I didn't do the show due to some technical difficulties, but I'm back today. I I cannot skip this time, even though I may seem a little bit under the weather as far as my voice is concerned. The reason for this is because there is so much going on, Uh, the news of Osama, Osama bin Laden being being uh, captured and killed, or killed in a gunfight, gun is a very important issue that we need to address today as well when we talk about the, the subject of our talking points today. We are um, doing a show on Islam. We have been doing this now for the last six uh, radio bro- broadcasts here on Blog Talk Radio internet, uh, Prophecy Zone Radio, and on my show, I take the time to focus on issues of the day, religious um, uprisings, Uh, right now I'm doing Islam, as I've just said, and I find that this is a very important topic for us to discuss today, especially in light of Bible prophecy and uh, eschatology Right. The, the show's um, title is Islamic Revolution Iran Part 1 And there is a reason I'm going to be focusing on Iran uh, For the next two uh, segments of this Or episodes of this radio broadcast My name again is uh, Brenda Johnson And I am the host is As the Day Approaches Now, we need to ask some really important questions. What is happening in our world? Now, do the events in the Middle East have anything to do with a one-world religion, a one-world government, a one-world social order, a one-world economy? What about the Iranian Revolution? Does Iran have a predominant role in the coming of world order? Will Islam rule the world or will they subject themselves to the coming world ruler? We know that we live in uh, a a day and a time that we see uh, the closing of the age. We see all the signs that are talked about in the scriptures that Jesus is coming soon. The Holy Spirit is moving throughout the world and saying that that everybody watch, be aware, I'm coming soon from we know from the very beginning when Jesus first came on earth he said to watch and from generation after generation we have thought that uh we were that generation but there are so many things that are lining up today that we can actually understand scripture as we have never understood it before i say that an example with uh ezekiel 38 or even the book of Ezekiel for me. I've been a Christian for 35 years, and the book of Ezekiel is coming alive to me today like no other time has it uh, stood out to me. So this is extremely important for us to talk about and to watch the events of this coming uh, time. uh, The world is economically coming together. The world is... Coming together under one kind of global uh, working out of economics and political, and 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 the struggle for survival, the struggle for wealth and power. It's always been that way, but this is this is a little bit different in where Daniel speaks of a time where the speed of time is fast, moving fast. There is no doubt that this is a time in which we, as Christians, need to pay attention to the events that are happening. Now, on this episode, we will take a detailed look at Iran, the history of Persia, and its roles in in current Muslim uprising in Egypt, the Middle East, North Africa, and Europe. In today's broadcast, I want to take you back in history has Persia been an ongoing player in the world of prophecy? If so, how can taking a look back help us understand today's events? I really believe taking a going back and looking, the Bible was written for us to constantly look back at what God said, what God said, what God said, what, God said, what happened in events, what is um, tra- transpiring. So God is in, you know, He reminds us of what has been in history. So I want to do this with Persia, which is current Iran. So now, if so, how can taking a look back help us understand today's events? Now, today I want you to view Persia in light of history and then the role it plays in biblical prophecy, past, present, and future. We are going to meet history. And the, the past of history, biblical history, with, and we're going to meet it with future biblical prophecy. We are in the future. We have a great path. There, there's a lot of past behind us. But we are in the future that the scriptures were talking about. At such a time as this, that he placed us on this earth for a purpose and a plan. And I want to motivate everyone to get themselves going and understanding the times in which we live. Now, how biblical history has now, you know, meeting up with this Bible prophecy, uh, we are going to take a look. We're, I'm going to do a little bit here, a little bit, but a lot in the past. And then next week we're going to really focus in and tune in on the events of our day in regards to Iran, the revolu- Islamic res- revolution, and eschatology of Islam. We are in the midst of talking about that. And I'm not the points that I've covered on the last shows, I may briefly cover at, from time to time, but you can always go back to these one shows. Now, if I pause, if you hear a, a pause in the middle of my show, I am not ending my show unless you just can't get me back. I might have to pause from time to time because of my uh, trouble that I'm having. And so I'll I'll put myself on mute, mute and then uh, I'll get right back on. So I really don't want to uh, cough and, and make it hard for you to really listen. I want to try to make it as clean as possible. How will the world move forward? Our, uh, you know... Are we coming to the final chapter of what will make history? We will take this detailed look at the rise of Iran and determine what, if any, their role will be in the unfolding events that will close out this age. When the, And I'm going to quote this. Now, now I'm going to read something to you, and I want you to listen very carefully. This is from one of the leading scholars, in, in Iran in Iran and this is what he says. This is a piece of eschatology. Now if you hear a little slur in my voice, it's because I'm sucking on a cough drop. So um that is not unusual. It's unusual for me to have that, but I really do need to have something so that I can continue speaking. Okay. I'm going to read this to you now. I want you to listen. Carefully, When the world has become psychologically ready to accept the government of God, and when general conditions have become favorably, favorable to the idea of rulership of the truth, God will permit the Mahdi to launch his final revolution. A few selected individuals will be the first ones to respond to this call and will be drawn to him like an iron to a magnet, in that first hour of his appearance. On seeing the fulfillment of many of the signs promised in the traditions, a large number of unbelievers were turned towards Islam. Those who persist in their disbelief and wickedness shall be killed by the soldiers of the Mahdi. The only victorious government in the entire world will be that of Islam, and people will devotedly endeavor to protect it. Islam will be the religion of everyone and will enter all the nations of the world. The Mahdi will offer the religion of Islam to the Jews and the Christians. If they accept it, they will be spared. Otherwise, they will be killed. It seems unlikely that this catastrophe can be avoided. Warfare and bloodshed are inevitable. The imam of the age and his supporters will overcome the forces of disbelief and godless materialism by undertaking jihad. It will be with the power of just warfare that the forces of God's enemy and the supporters of disbelief and injustices will be exterminated. There are numerous traditions that speak about the impending use of force to achieve the goal end quote this is a quote by a man named Alatola Ibrahim Amini bet you never heard of him but he is well known in Iran and in Islam now Alatola let me tell you a little bit about him Alatola Ibrahim Am- Amini was born in 1929. He's current in the city of Najafabad, in the province of Esfahan. Having finished his primary studies um, in Najafabad, he joined the Religious Learning Center of Esfahan, Esfahan in 1942. After completing his curriculum of religious studies in Esfahan, he joined the most famous religious learning center of Qum in 1947, where he learned karaj, jurisprudence, and principles under the tutorship of most eminent religious scholars of that period. And you may ask, where is the city of Najaf of Fahabad In the province of es- Esfahan? Najafabad is the city of Isfahan province, Iran. In 2006, it had an estimated population of 208,647 people. It is located the west of, of Isfahan and is increasingly becoming a part of Isfahan Fahan met- metropolitan area. Najafabad is the birthplace also of Granada, the Grand Ayatollah Hossein Ali Mantasiri, which was someone who was close to the Ayatollah ro- 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 Rola Ayatollah Khomeini of the Revolution of 1979 in Iran. We are not going to focus on that part of it today. And we're not going to focus on the Grand Ayatollah Hossein Ali Montazeri, but we are focusing on Ayatollah Ibrahim. Amini, I know they're throwing out a whole bunch of names to you, but you need to listen. And I'm, I'm, there's a point that I'm trying to get you to listen to. We think that we got Osama bin Laden because, you know, we think that his death is going to cause terrorism, is going to ta- cause jihad to lose its steam and its power. But I'm telling you, Osama bin Laden learned from al Abraham Amini. He is not the only one. He is one of several. So I'm trying to introduce you to this character and to this person so that you understand who he is. I just read a quote from him about what he says this revolution is all about. What he says, the uh, the goal of the coming of the Mahdi will be. Okay. Nashav is the birth pla- okay, does any you know I'm sure nothing I'm saying is making any sense. Well, I know I want you to hang on. We're going to places that you've never been before. In doing so you'll you will uh, know more than most. Okay. Why why is this important? It is important to know these things so that you can understand the world's present situation and where the future will take it, and and a lot of people, in, and I'm, I'm seeing in the church, we're we're not understanding what it, where we're where we're going with this. This is really a clash between Christianity and Islam, and um, the God of this world and the God of Jehovah uh, taking precedence for precedent in this world we don't fight against flesh and blood but principalities and powers and this is what we're up against now some of you may be saying you just don't care but i suspect that most of you who are listening to a program like this care or you wouldn't bother finding this small channel blip in cyberspace which i feel like i am right now i feel like my voice is is uh very very small which it kind of is right now but hopefully it can become larger and bigger and seeing I you know and seeing I probably have a very intelligent audience I am challenged to bring you places you've never been at the same time as making it simple for you to understand I want you to understand this. We are living in perplexing times. The Bible says the last days will be marked by deception and persecution. The last days is going to be marked by deception. Listen, deception, deception, and persecution, persecution, which deception will cause this kind of persecution. First Timothy four one, reading out of the New International Version. You know some of you don't care for that version, but I read the international New International Version as I've just been used to it. Uh but it says the spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Matthew twenty four nine through eleven says when Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. As I stated in my opening remarks, I'm talking this week and the next about the Islamic Revolution in Iran historically known as Persia. Now, did the the Islamic revolution we are uh, seeing now start start in Iran? Is that where it started? What roles does Iran have in the current rumbling we are seeing in their historical Islamic neighbors? Is it an act of democracy, which some people are saying, uh, which you know, I remember watching Iraq fall, Saddam Hussein fall, and the independence in Iraq, and I was excited about that. But, you know, I quickly started to look at it with a watchful eye because what is going to rise up in the place of Saddam Hussein is a it, is it democracy. It's great that people have a choice of their government, but is what is happening democracy as in Jeffersonian democracy or is it uh, a different kind or is Islam using democracy to promote their particular ideology we'll look at that more next week um, in detail but I'm going to go back to Persia so for the past few months now starting in January February in Africa, Egypt, Morocco, Tanzania, Ivory Coast, Sudan—all these countries have been uprising. In the Middle East, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Europe, Great Britain, France, Germany, Netherlands—and soon to be felt around the world—and even in the U.S. This is—we've this is, been seeing this since January. Just think: since Egypt, Hosni Mubarak fell, we have seen an uprising throughout all this Islamic nations. Now, if you would go to my Facebook site, you will see that I have a map on there that talks about the history of Persia, and it shows you how the Islamic nations, when Islam took over, what pieces of land it took over. Those are the ones that are all in upheaval right now. Those are the ones that have been uh, uprising. Why? Why is the Islam uprising is throwing out its own leaders. I've been saying in the shows past that the uprising is happening because they are cleaning house. They are getting out the secular presidents or rulers that do not conform to the Arabic Quran and the 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 ideology of Jihad and the coming of the Mahdi and the Hadith. And the Siraks, all of them that do not truly, by word and deed, follow the Quran. They say it in word, and they say it in show. But there, it's like us being a Christian saying, "Yeah, yeah." Um, that person is a Christian and going to church. They're carrying their Bible, but they don't have any uh, moral, att- not attributes, but moral capacity, or desire, or attempt. To uh, um, pr- promote the things that God cares about, they—you can see them doing it, but they're definitely not a Christian. We say they're a hypocrite. That is what I—what they're doing in the Middle East right now, in the Middle East, Africa, all of that—they are throwing out those leaders, those hypocrites. Hosni Mubarak is one, of course. Saddam Hussein never was uh Islam he was the Ba'ath party, which was not even islam um Gaddafi is that uh the the ruler in Morocco he is actually a jeffersonian democrat elected president in nineteen ninety nine there there is an uprising starting there um uh, a lot of these you know places that are having upheaval is because they have betrayed islam to the west western ideologies things like that okay i have to stop there because i'm going to go into that more next week and i'll get really distracted easily and get into this now when i have to go a little bit backwards first now back to my opening quote i started out asking who is abraham almini Well, first of all, to understand the word alatola, it's a Persian word that means the sign of God. It is a high ranking title given to the Yusufi Twelver Shia clerics. You've got to understand that Yusufi Twelver Shia clerics. Those are those clerics that believe in the eschatology of the last Imam or the al-Mahdi, and so when you hear ayatollah, that is somebody who is one of these 12 Shia cleric, clerics. Those who carry the title are experts in Islamic studies such as jurisprudence, ethics, philosophy, and usually teach in Islamic seminaries. The next lower clerical brink is the Hocah Toslam, wal muslim men, now you know, I am not Arabic, so if those of you who are listening know I just slaughtered that word, I wish you can encourage, you know, uh, those who uh, put these words in there that they can put the sound in as well so that I can hear how they actually sound. But anyway, the hal-shul-salam, wal muslim men, is an honorific, honorific title needing authority on Islam or a proof of Islam? Alatola is similar in rank to a bishop or a cardinal cardinal uh, in Catholicism or a chief ri- rabbi in Judaism. Hang on, i got to take a drink. What is a Lusali 12 or Shia cleric? Okay. Let's break this down. First, Usuli is a religious movement by Persian Shiite Muslims in the in seventeen in the seventeenth century Iran that is opposed to the Akhbari. I'll explain that in just a minute. Usuli Shiism produced the politically active caste of priest priests that is distinctive is a distinctive feature in Iranian. Shiism. Now, Akhbari is a school of Shiite jurisprudence, and this is what this is. Origins of Akhbari can be traced to the 12th century. It firmly rejected Ishadhad, and that is the analysis, analysis of problems not covered precisely in the Quran, the Hadith by consensus of Islamic legal scholars representing all Muslims. Um, it rejected is shahad, um, where it's by popular consensus um, that you come up to, the, to a, a conclusion. Or the power, power of ulama, Muslim scholars trained, ulama means Muslim scholars trained in Islam and Islamic law to interpret the Quran and the teachings of the Prophet Islam. Rather, it emphasizes the supremacy of the teachings of God the Prophet and the infallible imams of Twelver or Shi'ism, arguing that Islamic law can be derived directly from the akbar or traditions of the imams and the Prophet. So what this is saying is that um, that... It is infallible. The supremacy and how they interpret the Quran and the Hadith and everything is that it is the supremacy of the teachings of God rather than a body of men who will decide about what we, it's kind of like what we would understand progressive Christianity, like the word of God will change according to society, according to what is happening in the world. This is what they're saying about the Quran, saying that it has supremacy it you know it would be like our our um solo scriptura that the the word of God for us the bible the the Torah has authority over any man's opinion about it or anything that is happening in the world currently uh but they add the traditions the hadith and and the the prophet they are infallible imams and in, in the the twelve Imams, which is part of the twelfth. You know, the twelfth Imam is the last of the twelve, and those are the ones that are coming to teach the words of God. Um, they are infallible, and that they, in understanding, they alone will give you the right uh, conclusion about what God wants mankind to do, or Allah, according to them. To them, um, and. Just on a side note, for those of you simplified, Allah and Jehovah are not the same. Jehovah, the God of the Jews, is completely described or is described completely different than Allah in the Quran. So when you put them side by side, you know, people sometimes will say, Well, Allah and Jehovah aren't they the same thing? Well, they're not. You have to put the scriptures and the and the Quran side by side and you'll see that there are stark, staunch differences between the two. The Akbar traditionalism reemerged in the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries in the Sahavi Iran, undermining the positions position of independent clergy. The Akbari school, at least by extension, advocated a fusion between believers and the prophet plus his 12 infallible progeny. From the ascendancy of the Seth, Seth of this to the 19th century, most Aqabari clerics resided in the shrine cities of Iraq. In Iran, the Akbaris were eventually defeated by the rival Yusli, Yusli camp, which favored a hege- hegemonic clerical hierarchy. In Bahrain, however, Akbarism triumphed by the end of the 18th century during the Iranian constitutional revolution from 1905 to 1911. Elements of Akbari teachings were drawn upon by pro-constitutionalist lama in receiving challenges by more conservative clergymen who objected the um, un-Islamic nature of constitutionalism. So I know that the, that's a mouthful. But hang on. Well, as we go along, you're going to understand a little bit more, hopefully. I can uh, tell that to you. Now, allah tolah him Amini, the words, you know, were that I quoted in the beginning of, the, uh, of it shows the words from, you know, him. He's a professor of religious learning center in Quam, remember. And he is actually... He wrote a book called um let's see, it is called Al Imam Mahdi Al Imam al Mahdi, the just leader of just leader of humanity and it's a full manual on the eschatology of Iran. Not I Iran, of the Shiites, Sunni the Twelvers, uh, Islamic uh teachers that are fueling the revolution. Okay. Now, like I said, we think that as the United States, and no you know, it, we always rejoice when we feel what is evil has been then um uh subjugated or uh, overcome that we feel a bit of relief. Well Okay, uh, we've had that way with Hitler, of course, he was a very evil man, and he needed to be stopped um and same with osama bin Laden in in his acts because of his prominence in who he was uh but he he i like I said a little bit earlier, he is not the only one, and the history tells us as I go into the the revolution in Iran that Killing some of these leaders actually made the fire the the, the um uh made growth happen in these movements. Um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have gotten to kill them. I think for our protection of the United States of America, which I am part of, that I am all for that, and uh, a bit of justice seemingly has been done in getting him but i don't want us to fall asleep as a nation or as a people or as the church to think that we are out you know that that was it because it's not here's a few more leaders abu al-amadudi he lived between 1903 to 1979 say say I talked about him in one of my shows. He lived from 1909 to 1966. Hassan Abana, he lived from 1906 to 1949. These uh, Sayyid Qutim Hassan Abana were both uh, killed, assassinated, not assassinated, but they were killed by the government of Egypt. They are in Egypt and uh, Sayyid Qutb, his writings are influencing the revolution of today. Hassan Abana, his writings are influencing. So he, they, these two people are dead, but they're still doing the work that they set out to do because of what they left behind. Mm-hmm. Alatola Rahola Ro- Khomeini, he was actually the Al-Tola, uh of Iran that we remember back in the 80s. Um, in 1979, he was the leader of the revolution in Iran, 1900 to 1989. Muhammad Ahmadinejad, he is still alive, 1956, present, and he became president of Iran in 2005. The, I have only named five of these people. Osama bin Laden would be my sixth person that I am mentioning. But there are there are scores and scores of leaders and teachers that are promoting this ideology. And amazingly, it's an ideology that is um, is lining up with Bible prophecy. Now, because Osama bin Laden is a big thing at the moment, I'm going to give you a little idea who he is. little jump in the gun because I was going to... Um, Focus a little bit more on some of these people. Hold on a minute. Okay, he was born in 1957, and of course we now have been told that he has been killed on May 1st, 2011. He was born in R- Riyadh, Sa- Saudi Arabia, uh, known as mastermind of the September 11th, uh, uh, 2001 attacks. Now, the U.S. government considers Osama bin Laden to be the most dangerous terrorist in the world. Bin Laden joined the Afghanistani resistance in 1979. Do we see a tie-in with all uh, these other leaders and their dates? And became a commander of the guerrilla wars against the Soviet Union in the 1980s. After the war ended, bin Laden founded a loose organization of pro-Islamic terrorists known as uh, as Al-Qaeda, the Sahihari, to form an international group whose goals included driving the United States out of the Middle East and overthrowing the government of Saudi Arabia, his home country. Attacks which Bin Laden is believed to have plotted or inspired included the nineteen ninety three bombing of the World Trade Center, of course, the nineteen ninety five truck bombing of a Saudi National Guard Training Center, the nineteen ninety eight explosions at US embassies in Kenya and Tanzania. Bin Laden was added to the FBI's ten most wanted fugitive fugitive lists after the embassy attacks, along with Captured suspect Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. He is considered responsible for the September 11 attacks that crippled the Pentagon and destroyed New York's World Trade Center. Now, his his goals were not just political. His goals were ultimately religious. Uh, young Bin Laden and attended schools in Jeddah and was encouraged to marry early at the age of 17 to a Syrian girl in a family relation. She was to be the first of several wives. In 1979, he earned a degree in civil engineering from King Abdul Aziz University. He seemed to be preparing to join the family business, but did not continue that course for long. Former classmates of Bin Laden recall him as a frequent patron to the Beirut nightclubs and um, Uh, He joined, as a student, in the late 1970s, bin Laden was galvanized by events that seemed to pit both the Western world and communist Russia against Muslim nations. One of these was the Camp David Peace Accords between Egypt and Israel. Another was a Soviet invasion in Afghanistan. In December of 1979, when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, Bin Laden, like many other Muslims, rose to join the jihad declared against the attackers. He did not initially enter the fray as a soldier, but instead he channeled his efforts into the organization and financing of the Mujahideen, or Afghan resistance. Over the next 10 years, he used his tremendous wealth to buy arms, build training camps, and provide food and medical care. He was said to have occasionally joined the fighting and to have participated in the bloody siege of Jalalabad in 1989, in which Afghanistan wrestled control from the Soviet Union. Now the United States been embroiled in the Cold War with the Soviet Union provided help to Bin Laden. Did you hear what I just said? The United States my country when in the during the Cold War we with the Soviet Union we provided help for Bin Laden and his associates. Although many respects He worked side-by-side with the Americans to defeat the Soviets. Bin Laden remained wary of the Western superpower. So, like today, we are supporting rebels in Libya. Who are those rebels? That's why that question is up. Because we supported Osama bin Laden against Russia. To counter these atheist Russians, the Saudis chose me, and this is what he said: To counter the atheist Russians, the Saudis chose me as a representative in Afghanistan. Bin Laden later told French journalist in an interview, quoted by the Public Broadcasting System systems PBS Frontline, he goes on: I did not fight against the communist threat while forgetting the peril from the West we had to fight on all fronts against communist or western oppression so from back then they've been feeling this way um, now during the war bin Laden forged connections with the egyptian islamic jihad this is what we see are seeing in egypt the Islamic Jihad, the militant group linked with the 1981 assassination of President Anwar al-Sadat. Under the influence of this group, bin Laden was persuaded to help expand the Jihad and enlist as many Muslims as possible to rebel against so-called infidel regimes. In 1988, he and the Egyptians founded al-Qaeda, the base, a network initially designed to build a fighting power for the Afghan resistance. Al-Qaeda, which was created by the Muslim Brotherhood, would later become, you know, that's what Osama bin Laden and these men were part of, uh, become known as the radical Islamic group with bin Laden at the helm and with the United States as the key target for its terrorist attacks. After the war, Bin Laden was touted as a hero in Afghanistan as well as in his homeland. He returned to Saudi Arabia to work for the Bin Laden group, but he remained preoccupied with extremist religious politics. Now it was his homeland that concerned him. In 19- Listen, it was his homeland now that it concerned him. This is what is happening in these Middle East, Okay. In 1990, Saudi Arabia's King Fahd, worried about a possible invasion by Iraq, asked, they asked the United States and its allies to station troops that would defend Saudi soil, eager to protect its interests in the oil-producing kingdom. The United States complied. Bin Laden, euphoric after the Afghan victory and proud of the power of Muslim nations, was outraged that Fahad... Fahd, King Fahd, had asked a non-Muslim country for protection. He now channeled his energy and money into opposition movements against Saudi monarchy. This is one of the hypocrites. It says in the Quran, and I don't have the quote, but I can quote it next time. It says in the Quran that if you go to another country to get support outside of the Muslim nation, you are... Sinning against Allah, you are not relying on Allah, and so this is where he is coming from in his his understanding of his own belief system. Now, as an outspoken critic of the critic of the royal family, bin Laden gained a reputation as a troublemaker for a time. he was placed under house arrest in Jeddah. His siblings, who had strong ties to the monarchy, vehemently opposed his antics and severed all ties, family and economic, with their upstart brother. He was totally ostracized by the family and by the kingdom, Daniel Umam, who worked with the Bin Laden group, told an interviewer for New York Times. The Saudi government, ever watchful of a." of Bin Laden caught him smuggling weapons from Yemen and revoked his passport, no longer a Saudi citizen, he was asked to leave the country. So he was revoked of his own citizenship. With several wives and many children, Bin Laden relocated his family to Sudan, where a militant Islamic government ruled. Now, we know Sudan because of what has happened in Tafar, And how the Islam, the Islamists, those who are militant Islam, which that's all there is in Sudan, were killing and killing off the population, Christian population. They were subjugating the country. In Sudan, he was welcomed for his great wealth, which he used to establish a major construction company, as well as other businesses, he also focused on expanding Al-Qaeda, building terrorist training camps, and forging sites with other militant Islamic groups. This, his primary aim has be, had become to thwart the presence of American troops in Muslim countries. Now, bin Laden regarded even American humanitarian efforts as disgraces to Muslim countries, because that is also in the Quran that says you cannot accept these things for other countries. By doing so, you are uh, forfeiting God's protection and provision. The first terrorist attack believed to trace back to bin Laden involved the December 1992 explosion of a bomb at a hotel in Yemen. American troops en route to Somalia for a humanitarian mission had been staying at the hotel, but they had already left. Two Australian tourists were killed. Almost a year later, 18 American servicemen were shot down over Mogadishu in in Somalia. Bin Laden initially claimed not to be involved in the attack, yet he later admitted to an Arabic newspaper that he had played a role in training the guerrilla troops responsible for the attack. Several months later, on February 26, 1993, a bomb exploded in the parking lot of the World Trade Center in New York City, killing six and injuring more than 1,000. Though it has not been proven, bin Laden is widely suspected of being a mission's ringleader. Many believe it, it was the terrorist leader's at first attempt to destroy the towers, which suicide hijackers succeeded in toppling in two thousand. One, The United States uh, and Saudi leaders' pressure of the Sudanese government to expel bin Laden. And then in 1996, he left the country voluntarily, according to Sudanese officials. Now, that same year, bin Laden openly declared war on America, calling upon his followers to expel Americans and Jews from all Muslim lands. In a statement quoted by PBS's Frontline, he called for fast-moving light forces that work under complete secrecy. Do you hear that? Fast-moving light forces that work under complete secrecy. Interviewed by cable news network CNN in 1997, Bin Laden said the United States has committed acts that are extremely unjust, hideous, and criminal whether directly or through its support of the Israeli occupation. The following year, he issued an edict evoking even stronger language. He said, we, with God's help, call on every Muslim who believes in God and wishes to be rewarded to comply with God's order to kill the Americans and plunder their money wherever and whenever they find it. Now, if you think that is extreme, I mean, it is, but I mean, if you think that that is not common here in the United States, this is the thinking that a lot of Muslims have here in the United States. There is a competition today saying that Islam is a peaceful religion. Islam is, or Islam is a warring religion. Now, those that I'm studying that are saying that they are peaceful are actually those that are coddling to the West, the Jeffersonian democracy desire leaders. These are the leaders that Islam, who believes in the Quran as the supreme authority, Shia as the law of the land, are throwing out of these countries in the last three months. After the Sudanese government asked him to leave, Bin Laden operated out of Afghanistan. He is believed to have orchestrated at least a dozen attacks, some successful, some not. Among the worst of these were two truck bombings, both on August 7th in 1998, and the U.S. embassies in Nairobi, Kenya, and Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. The Nairobi bombing killed 213 people, only 12 were Americans, and wounded 4,500. The Dar es Salaam attack left 11 dead and 85 wounded. This news compounded by intelligent reports suspecting that bin Laden had been attempting to acquire chemical and biological weapons prompted U.S. action. President Bill Clinton responded with cruise missile attacks on suspected al-Qaeda training camps in Afghanistan and a pharmaceutical plant in sudan in november 1998 the u.s senate department promised five dollar five million dollars to anyone with information leading to bin laden's arrest we also found out that uh, clinton had the opportunity to uh, to get bin laden and never did despite attempts to apprehend him bin laden eluded the american government and continued plotting against it not all of his efforts were successful a failed plan to bomb Los Angeles International Airport on New Year's Eve 1999, suspected to be one of the several failed attacks designed to correspond with the millennium, was linked to al-Qaeda, Al Qaeda, however you want to say it. Uh, bin Laden is also suspected as a, orchestrating a botched attack on the U.S.S. The civilians, a U.S. warship stationed on the coast of Yemen, in what seemed to be, to us, a comic presentation of what happened, recalled New York Times reporter Judith Miller. The would-be martyrs loaded up their boat with explosives and set the little dinghy out, and out to meet the civilians, and the dinghy was overloaded and sank. That's how it was foiled. The same group with Bin Laden at the helm is widely believed to be the respo- re- responsible for the October 2000 suicide bombing of the USS Cole, carried out in the same waters only a few months after the civilian failures. The terrorists had apparently learned from their mistakes. That attack killed 17 U.S. Navy personnel and left many wounded. Yemeni uh, officials later reported that five suspects in the incident had uh, admitted to training in Bin Laden's Al Qaeda camps. Um Bin Laden Hot second. Okay, Bin Laden's hatred for America had become well known, but nothing had prepared Americans for the most extravagant and heinous Plot plotted against uh, was the two thousand eleven attacks. Uh the so the US government nevertheless regarded the terrorist leader as their su- prime suspect president george w Bush demanded that afghanistan taliban government turn him over to over or face war but no of avi- it but to no avail hold on a minute Sorry about that. Had to take a step off there for just a second because my dogs were going crazy. And uh, we couldn't hear. There's a rabbit outside the window. And they were having a good old fit. Now, Let's take a look going back. I only have 35 minutes, so if I have to, I will um, go back again on this. Can we gain an understanding of Iran and its current ambitions by going back in history? One of the things I want to do today is focus and taking us back. Now, I, I spent a lot of time on uh, Osama bin Laden because I felt it was important. This is just one leader that is uh spending his time and his efforts and his talents and his money is and uh his machine his personal purpose and gifts and talents to promote his the ideology of this the uh uh last days and Islam he feels that it was, it was God's will that he do all of this and so there are more of him Many more. So, well, let's take a look back, and we'll go as far as we can and try to understand this from a historical, biblical uh, perception. Now, before the time of Christ, Rome and the Byzantium, we're going to go back way before the time of Christ. Now, I want to focus on a city that is extremely important that we're going to be talking about in one of these series, Uh, Babylon, the city of Babylon. Now, the Babylon of history is the capital of ancient land of Babylonia. And it was translated into the semantic language Babylon is pronounced Bab- Babyloni, which means gate of the gods. Now, if you don't see a spiritual significance to this, then, you know, you get something uh, coming. Because It means the gates of the gods. Furthermore, in the Old Testament of the Bible, in Genesis 10.10 is when we first are introduced to it. It states that Babylon is located in the land of Shinar. Now, throughout the ages, the physical location of Babylon has stayed the same. However, the city has been almost completely destroyed by both people and the natural progression of time. Now, ancient Babylon was lo- located in the southern part of what is now known as ancient Mesopotamia, part of modern-day Iraq. wasn't always modern-day Iraq. Iran, or Persia, used to own that part as well. Uh, join me on my Facebook page and take a look at that map and see how Persia had uh, actually... Babylon in it at one point. Mesopotamia is the Greek word that means land between the rivers, which is part of defining where Babylon was located. Babylon was situated in between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. However, the rivers also cut the city in two. Therefore, although Babylon was located in the middle of the rivers, the city went around the rivers as well. On the east side was the old city, and on the west side was smaller, new city. For today's geography buffs, the present-day location of ancient Babylon is approximately 60 miles southwest of Baghdad, Iran, and about 10 miles north of Iraq, town of al ihilah For many years, this land was bustling with people. The height of ba- the Babylonian Empire stretched from 2000 B.C. to, the, to 539 B.C., Today the city lies mostly in ruins I am going to do a show Uh, We're going to do an episode on Babylon And is it going to rise again in these last days Because when you study the eschatology of the Shiite Muslims When you study eschatology of the Al-Mahdi You're going to find that his seat of power is going to be a prominent historical city in Iraq. And we will talk about that. Now, to the north, Babylon was surrounded by Assyria, Nineveh, Carchemish, and Asut On the south, there was the lands of Ur, Samaria, and Ureddu. The Syrian desert was also located to the west along the Aleppo, Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Sidon, and Jerusalem. So you see, you see the the location now. The Mesopotamia was also known as the cradle of civilization because of the rich soil and the abundance of harvest that was that the area produced due to the land's close proximity to the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. The fertile ground has always aided in produce, production of wild barley, chickpea, sea, sesame, and edible root, which was uh, the same nutrition value as barley. Furthermore, dates, apples, and other fruits grow prosperously in the land, and the region is heavily populated with birds and fish. So it's a it's a it's a great place to 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 uh, build a, a a flourishing, expensive, extravagant city that can uh, do services to all the the earth. The once bustling city now lies mainly in ruins and. And the ruins cover an area of approximately 11.5 square miles. However, tourists can still see the reconstruction of Ninmaq's temple, Ishtar Gate, and the Lion Babylon. Babylon is also the site of the old hanging gardens, one of the seven wonders of the world. And if you've studied history, you would see what that is. Why am I focusing on Babylon? Because I believe it has great significance. We see the rise of Babylon in uh, Daniel, uh, not the rise of Babylon, but we see Babylon in the Bible as a prominent uh, character or place of prominence in historical biblical uh, interaction with Israel. God used Babylon in Daniel chapter 4 to uh, punish Israel. And um all prophecy you have to understand is related within the confines of our relationship or or the relationship other nations have with Israel. Babylon was this one. Now in chapter four of Daniel you you see Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the tree and then you see his uh dream of the uh, Daniel interprets the dreams, Daniel being a Jewish um, exile that served the king. Then you have uh, Daniel 5, where King Belshazzar, after um, Nebuchadnezzar is is uh, gone, Belshazzar takes over. You'll find that um we have the writing of the wall where he says that God warns uh, Belshazzar and many, many, Teckle, parthen, uh verse 25 of chapter 5. Here is what the words mean. It says, God has men, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Kekel found you weighed on the scales and found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. There we have to start seeing the, the Persians in contrast to biblical, historical biblical uh, prophecy. That's histor- historical biblical prophecy to us, but it was prophecy to them. There wasn't history yet. It was prophetic. Um and, of course we have the Darius rising in chapter six, who is the king of the Persia, of Persia. Okay, on the two main Indo-European tribes moving south in Iran, it is at the at, is at first the Medes who played the dominant role, with the capital of Ecbatana, modern Hamadan, Hamadan. They established themselves as powerful neighbors of Assyria. In 612 uh, BC, they combined with Babylon to sack the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. Their spoils are northern Assyria and much of Anatolia, where the Haz River becomes the border between themselves and Lydia. The Medes already control much of the Iran, including Fars. In the southwest, this is the heartland of the Parsa or the Persians, whose king is the vassal of the Medes, and whose and from whose name the region has also has until recently been known as Persia. In the now Cyrus the Great, fifty five, fifty five, five fifty nine to five thirty BC. And in, in this we've seen, Daniel chapter 6 says, um, the balance between the Medes and the Persians rapidly changed after Cyrus too becomes king of the Persians in 559 B.C. He rebels against the Medes in 553. Babylon and Mesopotamia fall to him next in 539. Cyrus is a politician as well as a conqueror. He presents himself as the liberator of Babylon, Releasing the people from the yoke of an unpopular king, and he is received as such. He makes a point of respecting the Babylonian religion. He allows the Jews to return to their Babylonian from their Babylonian captivity to Jerusalem, and encourages the rebuilding of their temple. This is in there is in these actions a genuine basis for reputation. But Cyrus also uses propaganda more successfully than any previous ruler to spread and reinforce his fame. People succumb to this conqueror partly because they believe in their interest; it is in their interest to do so. Now Cyrus dies in 530, campaigning against the nomadic tribesmen. The campaign of Alexander the Great. He, Alexander the Great, was the one who uh, killed Cyrus. In 530, the brief reign of Cyrus' son, Cambyses 2nd you know, I can't even say it, that's how great it is in history, includes another important extension of the empire, defeats the Egyptians in battles at the Teleseum in 525, and enters their capital city at Memphis. Egypt becomes the province of the Persian satrap. In Cambyses' absence, the throne in Persia is seized by a rebel. On the way home to challenge him, Cambyses, Cambyses, dies. A cousin of his, of his leads the attack, kills the impostor, and takes the throne. And that is Darius. He is the one that Daniel will uh, be thrown into the lion's den. Now, Darius in 522 to 486 B.C., during the long rule of Darius I, never before has such a large area, including so many people of different cultures and traditions, been controlled under a single system. So Persia has an extremely important role in the development of nations, of world Domination, a world rulership. They are the first ones to really have so many different cultures and traditions controlled under a single system. Now you see that was biblical history as well as historical history, the history of the world, and we see thousands of years later now Iran raising Persia, raising up again to seize power. They've done it before in the past. Now, the genius of Darius lies in the creating of a workable structure for the empire. This depends on such details as a sustainable system of taxation, communication that were based on good roads and and an efficient message carrying. A single language, and the language was Aramaic, used in government documents throughout the empire, and firm firm control of the armed forces. So this was a complete control of all the forces of the world, all a single language, which was Aramaic, uh, good roads, great communications. Now, if we parallel this to today, we have great communications, um, you know, the islamic jihadists are saying the only true language to understand the quran is in aramaic that though and you see a lot of the the, the terrorist activities coming from Saudi Arabia who understand the quran in the original language which muhammad wrote in aramaic so you see some some things here that can give you clues and ideas of what we are facing today. The Persian Empire the, the Persian Empire uh, contains an elite corpse involving a brilliant el- element of propaganda. Babylon as, at this time in 500 BC was assessed for the highest amount and for a startling mixture of commodities, 1,000 silver talents, four-month supply of food for the army, 500 eunuchs, India clearly is already fabled for its gold. The province is to supply gold dust equal to value in every large amount of 4,680 silver talents. Egypt is known for the wealth of its crops. It is to be the granary of, of this empire, as later as Rome's. It is required to provide 120,000 measures of grain in addition to 700 talents of silver. Trying to look at my time here and see how much time I've got left. Um, this is exclusively ex- this is exclusively a tax levied on subject peoples. Persians and the Medes pay no tax. Did you hear that? Persians and the Medes pay no tax, but they are liable at any time to serve the army. So they tax the nations around them uh, in support. Of their power. Okay, 522-486 BC, Darius extends the network of roads across the Persian Empire to enable both troops and information to move with a startling speed. At the center of the system is the railroad from Susa to Sardis, a distance of some 2,000 miles at intervals Of a day's ride, there are posting stations where new men and fresh horses will be available at any moment to carry a document on through the next day's journey. The Greek historian Herodotus marvels at these Persian couriers. Many different tongues are spoken in the Persian Empire from Egypt to India. But all the official messages traveling on the imperial roads are in one language, Aramaic. This Semitic tongue, deriving from a tribe in northern Syria, first spreads through Assyria. Then Babylonian merchants carry it further. Afield, until by the sixth century it is general use as a lingua franca throughout the Mesopotamia. Okay, the architecture of the empire 522-586, as well as setting in place the administrative structure of the empire and adopting Zoroastrianism. As the state religion, Darius proves himself the greatest builder of the Achaemenid dynasty in 521. They are uh, they are particularly important from a wealth and comfort for the nomadic tribes which live in these regions and in the steeps to the north. Um, that's where the person's rugs were invented. But you had a lot of nomadic tribes, which actually is what... Uh, created the warring uh, attributes of Islam because these nomadic tribes were fighters for survival now Darius and the Greeks 14, 514 to 486 Darius reigns reign, his only real failure is at the hands of the Greeks but since about 545 Greek speaking Iona modern southwest Turkey has been part of the Persian Empire. To protect this western region against nomads, raiding from the north, Darius attempts in 514 to extend his power in the direction. 490, Darius launches his attack. The astonishing Greek victory uh, at Marathon causes the Persians to withdraw. They have every intention of returning, but Darius dies in 486, and his death delays the renewed invasion of Greece, it is eventually launched in 480 by Darius's son and the and successor Xerxes, one the lesser emperors. Now, the reign of Xerxes marks a change in the ruling house of Persia, following a pattern familiar in the story of many empires. The hard men who create empires tend to be followed by descendants growing up in, um, in, with you know. Isolated splendor, pampered by palace eunuchs, and surrounded by intrigue and corruption. And we see Xerxes in the scriptures as well in Daniel. Um, Xerxes is murdered in 465 in a palace official. Now, Zoroastrianism uh, is—I'm not going to go into that—the uh, history of Zoroastrianism. I, I encourage you to look it up, but it is a belief of taking one. Uh, a bunch of gods trying to, it's claimed to be the first monotheistic uh, religion in that area. Um, Now, of course, Abraham was in Israel. This is talking about in Persia. Okay, now, um, in 334, um, Alexander the Great marches East from Macedonia and crosses the house font, entering the empire now ruled by Darius III, which is the son after Xerxes. Within a mere 18 months, Alexander has cleared the Persians out of Anatola. Now we're seeing all of this in the statue of Daniel, uh, the golden statue that we see the different things that have uh, confronted Babylon Uh, With this, they held for two centuries. The conqueror now moves south on the coast through the present-day Syria, Lebanon, and Israel. The ports here are the home bases of the Persian fleet in the Mediterranean. Now, you see how much Persian, 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 Persian is involved in this. By occupying them, he intends to cripple the fleet and deprive it of contact with the cities of the empire, including Persepolis. Most of the Phoenician tower towns open their gates to him. The exception is the greatest of them all, Tyre, which he besieges for seven months. By the autumn of 332, Alexander is in Egypt. The Persian governor rapidly surrenders. In the spring of 331, Alexander is ready to move northwest to Mesopotamia, where he meets and defeats the Persian emperor Darius. Now, in a symbolic gesture ending conclusively the long wars between Greeks and the Persians, he burns the palace of Xerxes in 330. To make plain who now rules the Persian Empire, Alexander adopts the ceremonial dress and court rituals of the emperor. Uh, and then Alexander dies in Babylon in He He has no heir, so after his death, his generals... Said about carving up the new Hellenistic Empire. Okay, Ptolemy establishes himself in Egypt, and Seleucus Seleu- wins control of the vast area Anatolia, Mesopotamia, Persia, and the eastern part of the empire, including the first even in the territories of India. And in as early as 305, within the lifetime of Seleucia, the Indian conquest of Alexander the Great have to be abandoned. With the next half century, much of Anatola asserts its independence and many small states. Pergamum is the most significant, soon to be followed by Parthia and Bactria to the northeast. But the eastern Mediterranean and Mesopotamia are first are at first, secure. The presence of the Greeks in Mesopotamia and the eastern Mediterranean encourages a new trade route. He calls it Antioch in honor of his own father. And now we see Antioch in the scriptures. Antiochus. Its port at the mouth of the river is named for himself, Seleucia. He calls it Antioch in honor of his own father. So now the Arabs came in conquest in the 7th century A.D. After Jesus Jesus came, Rome came in and took over uh, most of the area, did not take over Persia. That's why they're not included in the history of Persia because Rome did not take over Persia. It was the Arab conquest in the 7th century A.D. that actually re Uh, transformed Persia to more of what we see today. One of the most dramatic and sudden movements of any people in history is the expansion by conquest. Listen. The expansion by conquest of Arabs in the 7th century, only the example of the Mongols in the 13th century can match it. The desert tribesmen of Arabia formed the bulk of the Muslim armies. Their natural ferocity and love for warfare, together with a sense of moral rectitude provided by their new religion, form an irresistible combination. This is back in the 7th century, from the beginning. Their ferocity and love for warfare and their expansion by conquest. You must hear that. To understand Islam, you must understand the harsh circumstances into which the religion was born. The Arabian Peninsula at the time of Muhammad at 570 AD was a barren and desolate region with a scorching sun and oppressive heat by day and a chilling cold by night. There was little vegetari- vegetative growth, and the nomadic inhabitants lived between jagged rocks and shifting sand dunes. That's why they have no problem. Uh, Uh, living where they live and doing what they do and and hiding out. While Europe and much of the Middle East was transitioning transitioning from the Roman to the Byzantine Empire with roads, irrigation canals, aqueducts, and a culture that included philosophical discourse and theater, the Arabians, and there you go, Uh, discourse, and theater, which is, you know, the productions and what we call our modernistic uh, tendency of of materialism, the Arabians lived short and brutal lives in warring tribes with little to offer the rest of the world beyond their own harsh existence. This partially explains the inherent hostility within the religion to music and art, which some extremists, such as the Taliban, Take quite literally. Islam does not encourage the pursuit of knowledge outside of itself, and it has sometimes been referred to as the religion which has produced nothing but religion. From Orana Salasi, The Rage of the Pride. That was a book, The Rage of the Pride, is what that was uh, quoted from. The religion which has produced nothing but religion. The inhospitable climate protected the peninsula from the conquest and culture influence. Although the Persians did manage to impose written language among the coastal edges of the region, which is which is the origin of Arabic. No foreign army felt that sheep felt that sheep and goats were worth taking from the desert fighters and the area was remarkably isolated. The re, renaissance of knowledge that the rest of the world had been experienced since the Greek re- revival largely missed out on by the Arabs, whose entire energies were devoted to daily survival against a ruthless environment and other tribes. Now Persia falls to the Arabs as a con- consequence of the Battle of Kadesia, close to the Euphrates in 637. After their victory, the Arabs sacked the city of Sestafon, and capture three more cities in Nahavand in 641, Isfahan in 642, and Harat in 643. So that was quick, 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 quick. Persia is the region in which the resistance comes to a head against the Caliphate, of the Umayyads uh, and the Damascus. The uprising is partly simple uh, a simple struggle in bef- between Arab fractions, so you see this from the very beginning. Each of them of impeccable pedigree in relation to the pioneers of Islam. A revolt in Persia in 747 is headed by descendants of the al-Abbas, an uncle of the prophet Muhammad. Their new caliphate, established in 750, will be known as Abbasid, A-B-D-A-S-I-D. The involvement of Persia is also significant. The Umayyad Caliphate in Damascus derives from the early days of Islam when all Muslims are Arabs. But many Muslims in the East are now Persian, and Persian sophistication is beginning to, to divert Muslim culture from its simple Arab or, origins. Abbasid forces, forces reach and capture Damascus in 750. Abu Abbas is proclaimed the first caliph. Of a new line, male members of the Ahmad family are hunted down and killed. The one survives to establish a new Ahmad dynasty in Spain. The center of gravity of of the Muslim world now moves east from Syria to Mesopotamia. In 762, a new capital city, Baghdad is founded on the Tigris. It is about 20 miles upstream from Sessalon, on one of the leading cities of the preceding Persian dynasties of the Sasanians. Now, uh, I'm not gonna have a, a whole lot of time to go into uh, some of these. I'm gonna do a couple, you know, I'm I'm gonna talk a little bit more, and whatever we don't get done, we will discuss briefly in the revolution. But in, in their new city of Baghdad, the Abbasid Palace adopt the administrative system of the long-established Persian Empire. Persian Muslims are as much involved in the life of of this thriving place as Arab Muslims. Here, Islam outgrows its Arab roots and becomes an international religion. Here, the Arabic and early Persian languages coalesce to become, from the 10th century, what it is now known as Persian combining words from both sources and using the Arabic script. So they are using the Arabic script just like Saudi Arabia did. And this is key in understanding the Quran, understanding why they're interpreting the Quran and believing what they're believing the way they're believing it. Here, Mesopotamia briefly recovers its ancient statues at the center of the world's largest empires, the caliphate is now at its widest extent with reasonable calm on most borders. The, for three centuries after the Muslim conquest of Persia, Zoroastrianism remains important in, the, important in the region, but it has now moved off into India. It will eventually move off in India. Um, you have Uh, After the ninth century, this is important The rule of the opposite caliphates in Baghdad Is often in many parts of the Muslim world More nominal than real Now do you hear that? More nominal than real In Palestine and Syria There are uprisings from supporters of the previous Amir dynasty Whose base was Damascus In the rich province of Egypt Governors are increasingly unruly as many as 24 are appointed and then dismissed during the 23-year caliphate of Haran al-Rashid. Now, why it's important to, to think of the nominal than real is that that's what they're saying is not. What happened after that is they're overtaken by the Mongols in Persia. Uh, they're taken over by them. The assassins first. Um uh, the Sassans first show their hand when they begin to see strongholds in Persia in the late 11th century, particularly the almost impregnable fortress of Almut. and then and the Mongols take over, conquer it. And then after that, the, in both Turkey and Persia, a major change is made in royal protocol during the first half of the 17th century. The development is the same in each palace, and it is a profound effect on future sultans and shahs. In Turkey, it has been an official policy of state for each new Sultan, unachieving power, to kill his brothers and nephews. So um, you have, after that, other uh, non-Islamic peoples over Persia, or no more Persia power. Anyway, Muslim lost its stronghold to other fractions. This is what they're saying today. This is what they're saying is happening today. Why doesn't Muslims have any leadership in the world? Why does not Islam uh, dominate and rule? It's because they become nominal. This revolution is stirring uh, what is a claim to be nominal. Well, I didn't, didn't do too bad today, I suppose. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Again, my name is Brenda Johnson. I only have a little bit left to go. I am still creating a website. It's going to be called As the Day Approaches uh, and it will be on the website. Uh have a domain name for that and so look for that in the days ahead. On this side I am going to have video. I'm going to have these radio programs. We're going to have uh, a lot of things on there, but if In the meantime, if you need to get a hold of me, uh, my new email address is ba-johnson at mediacomdb.net. Also, you can find me on Facebook under Brenda Johnson. You might want to go to Susan Puzio or uh, Christine Weick or... Uh, Phil Armstrong, to find my name, since mine is a common name on Facebook. So if you just uh, search it that way, it might be hard to say or find. Also, I have a false teaching page, identifying them. Uh, you can join me there. and We discuss all kinds of issues of false teaching. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope to see you next week. Bye-bye.